Hello, and welcome to the Hope Brooklyn Weekly Sermon Podcast. Hope Brooklyn is a community of faith in Brooklyn, New York, that believes wherever you are in your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. Thanks for listening, and enjoy this week's sermon. That's, that's true. I was going to deny that, but I won't. That's me, better half. Um, uh, hi, guys. This weekend has knocked it out of me in a little uh, sense. It's um, Russ and I have been recently on multiple flights. Uh, last week we were on like a 20-hour flight, and then a couple days later we were back up in the air. So I blame the airplane for it, but I also think there's a little bit of Satan in this of like woke up with this awful cold. Yesterday I was like wrestling with my dog and I ran into the corner of our couch and like had this nice bruise that I'm hiding. Um, And then I was like cooking dinner last night in my kitchen and I got bit by four mosquitoes in my kitchen. And I was like, not today, Satan, not today. So I have my toilet paper up here, I'm ready. Um, It is not taking anything out of me. I am fully committed to being here this morning and I'm excited, I'm so excited. Um, My name is Anna. I am a community pastor here at Hope Brooklyn, and if I have not met you, I hope you can come to our newcomers brunch. Um, We love doing those. Um, And for those of you I do know, guys, I've missed you. It's been a long time um, for me, uh, I guess about three weeks. I know last week we had an incredible baptism that I was so bummed um, to not be at. Uh, I'm also a wedding cinematographer, and I was battling mustache sweat last weekend. Anybody remember how hot it was? It was miserable, terrible. Um, But I heard it was a little warm in here, too. Uh, But a couple weeks before that, uh, Russ and I were actually in Bali, and it was awful. It was terrible. It was the worst thing I've ever done. Um, It was wonderful. It was so beautiful. You guys, we ate amazing food. Um, We hiked volcanoes, we ran around rice terraces and waterfalls, we ate more amazing food, and we were spiritually attacked. Um, Our marriage was spiritually attacked, and it was one of those things that totally snuck up on us. Uh, We were there for about two weeks, and the first week had all these incredible events. Some of you saw a video that I made, I'm a cinematographer, so I made a video kind of um, highlighting our trip, and all of those moments were very real and very genuine. It was an incredible trip. But there was also this other side, which then I can share with you guys, because you're family here, um, that was really difficult. And I'll acknowledge, I think a part of that is just anybody in the room here married knows that when you go on vacation, your marriage doesn't like stop of like anything that was going on at home, like it's still there on vacation. In fact, you have like more time to talk about all this stuff. So part of that is just like the work of marriage, but there was about a couple days in, we were very aware that there was this, this energy, this buzz in both of us and it was creating tension and an anxiety and Um, We were at each other in ways that we don't normally go at each other. And, you know, as soon as we had this amazing morning where we woke up at 2 a.m., we hiked a volcano in the pitch dark with flashlights, and we watched the sunrise over Bali, and it was this incredible, beautiful experience and really spiritual experience for both of us. We experienced God on the top of that volcano. And then no sooner had we come home into um, our bungalow, and we were just at each other in this really weird, unprovoked way, Um, where it felt like our our language was really fatalistic and not really like us. And we, it was Russ who was like, I I think there's something going on here. I think that our marriage is being spiritually attacked. And we not only need to be praying together, but we need to be praying over one another and being like laying hands on one another. And I'll tell you, (laughs) 
When you're angry and you're being asked to lay hands, you're like, I'll lay hands on you. Let me pray. I'll pray for you. But the amazing thing about prayer is that it starts like this, but soon the prayer, it changes you, even though I'm supposed to be praying you know, for him. It comes through me, it pulses through me. Whatever chaos or spiritual warfare my soul is experiencing, it is melted away when I submit in prayer before God. And then that flows through me and I pray that I was flowing through to rest. And then as he prayed over me, in the second half of our trip, you guys, was significantly more peaceful, significantly more restful, because we were on guard, because we were very acutely aware now that there's an entire other realm that we cannot see, but make no mistake, it wants us to be in misery, especially when we're in such a beautiful place experiencing God in all these different places. Um, and so it, it, allows us, it allowed us being prepared, praying together, kind of putting on our armor, to really be rested that second week. Uh, the first week had rest in it, you know, we like napped a lot and ate good food and just chilled, but it was a body rest. I'm talking about like deep rest, that rests your spirit and it rests your soul, it rests your marriage and relationships. And we were able to experience that the second week. So today I wanna talk about a type of rest that I think as a people, as Christians, We've really forgotten how to do, um, and almost we haven't even been taught how to do it. It kind of feels like this, like a thing of the past that doesn't exist anymore. And it's called the Sabbath. Some of you are very familiar with what the Sabbath is. You know what practicing the Sabbath looks like. Other of you are other yous. Oh gosh, it's happening. Other. Others of you are familiar because we have been talking about our summer Sabbath, what we've been calling our summer Sabbath, which is when the church has kind of taken a pause on uh, planned programming and we've let the community do events and things together. And other of you are like, wow, what's a Sabbath? I don't even know, that's a funny word. It is a funny word. We see the origin of the Sabbath in Genesis, actually, in the creation story. So in the creation story, we have God who has its nothingness, and he creates heaven and earth, light and dark. Uh, he creates the world, the water, beasts of the field, uh, birds of the air, and, and mankind. Then we see on the seventh day, the last day of the week, he does nothing. He rests. Or I'll contend that he is creating something, but it looks vastly different than our idea of what a created substance would look like. When we think of um, creating something, it has a form, it has a shape, it has a, um, mo yeah, more of a form. And, and, and what he did was he created rest. Genesis 2, 2 through 3 says, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So the seventh day was the last day of the week for God, right? He had done all of his creating, the first six, and on the seventh day, he rested. So it was the end of a very um, busy, and I'll say like <laughs> the most productive work week in history, probably, um, and he rested. It was the, marking the end of his work week. But on the sixth day, anybody remember what was created on the sixth day? We were. Man. So the final work week day, the seventh day for God, 
was the first day of existence for man. And what did we do? We did nothing. <laughs> we were created, and then God said, you, you should take a break. Like, well done. Just hang out. Which makes no cognitive sense, because in this world, why do we rest in this day and age? Because we're tired. Because we're overworked. We got up early, we stayed up late, our work is tedious, we rest because we've earned it in some way. But in the creation story, we see that God is granting humans rest before we've done anything to earn it. Nothing. We've done nothing. We didn't create ourselves. And we're told to rest, just to be in the presence of God. This is the gospel story, you guys, in Genesis. Before Jesus has entered the scene, we, say that, we see that God is saying, hey, before you can work, before you can earn, before you can build, before you can gain or attain, you have earned my presence and rest. That's a pretty beautiful thing. I'm into that. The other thing that we learn about this seventh day is that he blessed it and he made it holy. Now, many other days he blessed. Most all the other days he said it was good. Remember that in the story? He created it and it was good. He created the heavens, it was good. He created man, it was very good. But the seventh day is the only day in which he made holy. Or in other translations, he sanctified. He hallowed. In the Hebrew, this word is kadash, which has um, a few different versions, all with the same roots. Um, and what it means is to, to consecrate, to set apart, to prepare for. Now this word is used over like 600 times in scripture. And most all the time, it's used in preparation for things, in ritual. Um, Joshua is speaking to the people, getting them ready to enter into the promised land. And so he's saying, um, uh, Kadash, get yourself ready, consecrate yourself, prepare yourself for what's to come. But this is the first time we see it in scripture. So this day somehow is a, a day that both sets us apart from something and it also prepares us for something. So I've got to believe that there's a lot more going on than just nothingness in this day. Just simply resting. Because those two things have a lot of weight in them. Um, I don't think as Christians anymore, we're really known by the way that we rest. I don't see a huge difference in, in society and when I look around that, oh yeah, Christians, we're known, we're known as people of, of rest that love taking a day off. And some of you might be thinking, but Anna, that makes Christians look lazy. Yeah, it does. And wouldn't that be wonderful? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Because let's be honest, you guys, do we really think that the way things are going now, this pace that everybody is moving about is really working for anybody? Russ and I have been living in New York for about four years. And I've observed a lot and had a lot of conversations with people. And people are tired. We are tired. And I'm not just talking the like, oh, I didn't get enough sleep last night tired, or um, I'm under-caffeinated tired. Like, we are bone tired, you guys. Deep tired, soul tired. And I think it's because we've forgotten how to rest. You know, I can do a, a quick research study and find that um, job burnout accounts for an estimated 
uh, oh, sorry, 125 billion to 190 billion in healthcare spending each year, and has attributed to type 2 diabetes, coronary heart disease, gastrointestinal issues, high cholesterol, and even death for those under 45. Unfair treatment at work, unreasonable deadlines, unmanageable workload, lack of support for managers, and the added stress from having to respond to emails and texts on off work hours are the primary drivers of job work uh, burnout. But I have to imagine that most of these statistics aren't really shocking for you guys. We've heard these things. In fact, many of you probably even find yourself on this list somewhere. You don't have to raise your hand right now, but just think with me. Are you tired? Like, are you bone tired? Do you struggle with anxiety? Do you struggle with depression? Are you often overwhelmed? Do you feel like you never can get rest? I would imagine for many of us in this room, we were able to answer yes to at least one, if not many of those. Let me ask you this. How many of you are actively practicing a day of complete rest and worship to God, a Sabbath? I would imagine that that number is much smaller. And it's hard. <laughs> um, practicing a Sabbath is very difficult. Um, and I'm, I'm not saying that this is a complete, I think that there's a correlation, guys. I'm not saying that is the end all. I am a big fan of uh, counseling, and I realize that there are other reasons for depression and anxiety, chemical imbalances, hormonal, things like that. I get that. I'm not saying that this is the only reason. But it is a big reason, and we're not talking about those. I'm just talking about that type of burnout that comes from not knowing when to quit. But it doesn't have to be like that. Christian philosopher Dallas Willard wrote, Sabbath is a way of life. It is simply casting all of your anxiety on him to find that in actual fact, he cares for you. It is using the keys to the kingdom to receive the resources of abundant living and ministering. Man, if we saw this day as that, as a day that was like, hey, the other six days, I toil, I work, I have in and, a, like in and out, my job, I get it. This day, I don't have to do that. On this day, I put my toils and my troubles on God, and he gladly takes them for us. And in, and in fact, he offers his presence in return, and he gives us rest. And in fact, Dallas is saying here that it's actually a tool in which he gives us. The Sabbath has been given to us as a tool to combat restlessness, weariness. For those of you thinking right now, ah, I don't really do well resting. I don't do well with idle hands. I don't like taking time off. I, I like working. By the way, there's nothing wrong with working. There's a problem with overworking, workaholism. And there's other views that I, I, I've heard this, the narrative before. I, I'm only in New York for a certain period of time, right? New York is this place that draws people in for internships or jobs, um, schooling, and it's just for a short period. And they're going to just like bust their butts for this couple of years, and then they'll move away and kind of have that like calm, restful life they always wanted. But here is just get into the chaos and just do it and grind it out. 
But if we don't make these practices now, you guys, we'll never do them later. There will always be something that steals our days. There will always be something that steals our rest. Also, it should be noted that the Sabbath isn't just a gentle suggestion. It's a command by God. But we forget that. I forget that. Um, so in Genesis 2, we see the uh, creation of the Sabbath, God's invention. But in Exodus 28, we see God giving the Sabbath to his people. Uh, Exodus 28, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, that's funny, uh, nor any foreigners residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it holy. Now a lot of us think the commands of the Old Testament are kind of like, they're like Old, Old Testament, you know, like they're ancient. We don't really live into that anymore. But do we have the same dismissive attitude about the other nine? Like murder, eh, it's the 21st century. If it makes you happy, you know. Or adultery, you do you. Stealing, worshiping many other gods, no. We still think those things are really relevant to today. Those things are worth keeping, those commands. So why has the Sabbath kind of been pushed aside as, eh, it's just kind of a gentle suggestion? My friend AJ, he's a pastor back in Portland, Oregon, and uh, he's written a book on the Sabbath, and so he studied it for about three years. And he said he was sitting in his church council meeting one day, and he had this really dark epiphany. He said, I realize that if I broke any of the other Ten Commandments, if I uh, stole money from the church, I'd probably get fired. If I cheated on my wife, I'd probably get fired. If I killed somebody, I would definitely get fired. But if I broke the Sabbath, I'd probably get a raise. Oh, yikes, guys. When I heard that, that rang so true for me and I think for our context here in New York City. I mean, we live in this city, right, that has this, like, this buzz about it. You know, we're the city of the rise and grind. It's all about that hustle. Work hard, play hard. Uh, I'll sleep when I'm dead, right? We've, all, we've heard those things. We've probably said those things. I have heard people brag about the amount of overtime that they've worked, as if it's this, this badge of honor. And you know who was among them? I was. I've bragged about that. Why? Because I want you to think I'm busy, that I'm hustling, that I'm making that money, that I'm earning my keep. It gives me value. It gives me validation. We think it's cool to overwork ourselves into the ground. It reminds me of the game we used to play when we were kids. I hope kids have gotten smarter. Um, where we used to hold our breath until we passed out. Did, did anybody play that as a kid? Oh gosh, it was just me. <laughs> Maybe it was an Oregon thing, I don't know. We had a lot of free time, not a lot to do. Um, there was this game we played where 
it was funny to sit around in a circle and everybody would hold their breath until you turned purple and you'd pass out for a couple seconds. And then you'd come back to and people would be like, oh, it's so cool. We got nothing for it. We weren't getting paid. We didn't get another popsicle. Like, it was just for cool points. Meanwhile, we were probably killing brain cells and shortening our lifespans by doing it, but it was cool. This is the same thing. So why do we want people to think we're busy? What power does it grant us? Well, I think in our industrialized society, it's probably really easy to answer that question, right? Because we look around and we see value is given to those who can produce, who can attain power, um, who can build. I mean, look at the way that we've um, industrialized, the way that we take care of the elderly in this country, right? As soon as we've realized, like, ah, you don't really have much value to offer anymore. You can't build things anymore. You're kind of past that point. What did we do here? We created a place where we can put them all. They don't get in the way of our production. And I have a grandmother who is in a home, and she wanted to be there. Man, she is stubborn. Um, and so she wanted the independence of living there. But I even think about the way I've thought about visiting my grandmother. When I go back to Portland, it's like, I just, I don't have time. Like, I've got stuff to do, I've got errands to run. I, I, I'm, I'm building, I'm working, I'm acquiring, I'm amassing. And meeting with grandma just doesn't really build anything for me. It doesn't help me acquire anything. Ah, oh, Lord, forgive me, this is my mother's mother. And I don't have the time because she doesn't really push me forward in my achievements. So I get that everything about this day of rest seems really countercultural, because it is. But you guys, we as believers were not made for this culture. We were made for something different. We were made for a kingdom that is to come. But we live here now, right? Anna, we live in this culture, we live in this society, yeah. We find ourselves towing this line of living in this this earth, but then also preparing ourselves for a kingdom that is to come. I think it's really interesting to note where the Sabbath is in the context of the rest of the Ten Commandments, okay? So the first three commandments that we have, thou shalt not have no, thou shalt have no other gods before me, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, then we have remember the Sabbath, fourth. Honor thy father and mother, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods. If you notice the first three commandments, what are they all about? My, my relationship to God, how I am to honor and to serve. Then we have the Sabbath, and the next six are about my relationship with you, my neighbor how I am to love and to serve you. I don't think this is by accident, you guys. We literally have a Sabbath command that bridges both our heavenly relationship with our Father in heaven, our relationship with God, and bridges the way that we live in this world and the way that we love people here. My friend AJ said, I've preached about money, about sexuality, about smoking pot. They're in Portland, it's legal. 
I've never lost more people out of my congregation than when I preached on the Sabbath. I get it. I own my own company. If I, if I take a day off, that work will still be there. Like, I don't have a team that can do this for me. Um, and, and I get the angry emails of people wanting response times that are pff, nanoseconds. Um, I get that this is uh, hard and honestly quite offensive. Like, this is, where we, this is where we get our power, our value. And so to be told, you know, well, it's kind of pointless, the way in which we've attained power or prestige, when we die, it goes with us. So what's the point? Well, I think that God is offering another way in the Sabbath in that what we do when we practice this day of rest is we build another kind of equity. And we build an equity that doesn't vanish when our lives are taken from this place. In fact, it's investing in something much greater. Um, author and theologian Abraham Herschel writes, how should we weigh the difference between the Sabbath and the other days of the week? When a day like Wednesday arrives, the hours are blank. And unless we lend significance to them, they remain without character. The hours of the seventh day are significant in themselves. Their significance and beauty do not depend on any work, profit, or progress we may achieve. They have the beauty of grandeur. I think that's a cool part about the Sabbath, you guys, is that we didn't earn it, we can't build it, we can't create it. In fact, all of those things really take away from what this day is doing and what it can do in our lives. Um, I think it's important at this point to talk about what the Sabbath is, because for a lot of us, we're thinking, like, I know how to rest. I know how to take a day off. You know, a lot of our resting looks like, what are you going to do tonight? I'm on the Netflix. I love how that's a verb now, too. Like, what are you doing? I'm Netflixing. What? Um, but that's how we rest, right? I'm going to order pizza. I'm on the Netflix. Or we know how to take a day off. But we usually, like, run errands, right? We go to that doctor's appointment. We pay the bills. We do our laundry. All the things that we weren't able to do um, throughout the week. And those are important days too, guys. We need days off. But that's not a Sabbath. Um, that's just doing the work that we're not paid to do, but it's still work. And even in the way that we take rest, because we are increasingly a people that love to rest, right? Self-care. Um, what's the other one? I don't know. But we love to take care of ourselves. We love to rest. Um, but a lot of the time, the, the ways in which we take rest or do these days off are, um, you know, sleeping, eating, watching television, and none of those things are bad. In fact, they can grant us rest, but it is an incomplete rest. Is it a rest? It's a rest that takes care of our body, maybe, by providing, providing more hours, maybe a well-balanced meal when we've been, you know, eating saltine crackers all week. So yeah, it can provide you a rest, but it is... It's an incomplete rest. Entering into a Sabbath is a type of rest that is just as much about resting all five of our senses as much as it is filling up our spirits with God, with the presence of God. It's both and. 
Heschel writes, the Sabbath is the most precious present mankind has received from the treasure house of God. All week we think the spirit is too far away and we succumb to spiritual absenteeism. Or at best we pray, send us a little of thy spirit. On the Sabbath, the spirit stands and pleads, accept all excellence from me. I have heard this so many times, you guys. I have said this so many times during the work week. Where are you, God? I can't hear you. I know people in here are struggling with that. Where is the presence of God? Where is he? I feel like he is left from me. He has hidden himself. I pray. I read my devotional. But this day, this sacred day, you guys, is all about turning it all off. It's not just about giving him the first 15 minutes that we have of the day or the podcast that we're listening to on the way to our jobs. It is about giving him this, this day as if it is a, a cathedral. You know, we're not building the skyscrapers. We're building this cathedral in time that is for the sole purpose of resting our bones, resting our spirits, and being filled up with the presence of God. And he's waiting there for us saying, I have so much to give to you. You've been really busy this week. I've seen how busy you are. I see how loud it is. Give me this day and I will fill you up. So how do we actually practice this day? How do we practice the Sabbath? Well, I think these are a couple points that I've thought about as Russ and I have been practicing the Sabbath now for about a year and a half. Um, the first things that you do is that you plan for it, you prepare for it, and you practice it. I would say the best way to do this is to set aside one day. Um, for us, it's a Thursday because we both work on the weekend, so we can't do that. For many of you, it would be a Saturday or a Sunday because you work nine to five, Monday through Friday. Set aside a day. Plan for it. Tell those around you. Prepare them. Tell your boss. Tell your coworkers. Hey, on this day, I'm not available. You can reach me the next day. Um, I think that it's helpful to keep a consistent day because it'll help you keep it consistent. If you, if you, if changes every week, pretty soon you'll get to the end of the week and you're like, ah, I forgot to do it. Okay, next week. So pick a consistent day and stick to it. Prepare for it. There's a lot of work that has to be done. In the Jewish traditions, there was hustling and bustling to get to the Sabbath day. Um, one family describes in the morning, mom was out getting groceries. Oh, we're coming apart. Sorry, Mandy. Uh, the mom was out getting groceries, and then the family was uh, chopping up everything and making sure that the oven was on and everything was ready because at sunset on Friday night, everything is done. And if it didn't get done, it doesn't get done until Sunday. I love that. Prepare for it. You guys, the Sabbath will not happen by accident. You will not fall into a Sabbath. It will not happen without you being so intentional about this time because it's so easy to get swept off. Prepare for it. Plan for it. Let those around you know. Um, and then practice it. I don't expect that we're all going to be good at this now. That I told you about this secret magical day in which we get filled with the Spirit of God and all of a sudden you're going to be masters at it. Russ and I have been practicing for a year and a half and we are still trying to figure it out, man. Come April, what were we doing on our Sabbath? Our taxes. I was editing videos. 
That's not a Sabbath, that is a day off. Important, pay your taxes. Don't use your Sabbath for that. We still don't get it right. We're still working on it, we're still practicing this. This got put on my heart months ago because I've had so many conversations with, with you in this room and, and people within our community and our neighborhood. But as I have uh, read and prepared for this, I have been so convicted that I am not giving God my all on my Sabbath. And not in this like, oh, shameful way, but like, I want more of you, God. I want this. I want the key. I want the kingdom. I want that taste of paradise that you say is available to us on this day. And I have not been setting aside this day in a way that I can be filled up and soak in that presence so that the next day on Friday, I'm like, what do we got? Let's do it. I'm ready. I'm ready. Because remember, the Sabbath simultaneously in its mystery marks the end of our week. And it's a celebration. But it also prepares us for the next. The next thing, and this is going to be so hard. You're going you're gonna to tighten your butt cheeks when I tell you. <laughs> Turn off your cell phone. Off. Turn it off. Ah, that was so perfect. <laughs> we hear you, spirit. We are listening. Turn off your cell phones. And can I tell you who's terrible at it? We are. We are. On a Sabbath, I'm like, look at me, hashtag Sabbathine. Look at me resting so well. Oh, hold me accountable. If you see me texting on a Sabbath or like taking photos, be like, uh, Anna, make sure it's like the next day. Or just don't, or I like, just shouldn't. Turn off your cell phones. Guys, it is the freakiest thing to do, but it is so liberating. Our cell phones now in this day and age have given us this idea that we're gods. Never before in human history were we able to be multiple places at the same time. Now we can be anywhere we want. Gives us this this sense of false uh, community, that we can be in all these places, when in reality, we know we're not truly in these places. We may be occupying them in this weird virtual, uh, virtual sense. Turn off your cell phone. Prepare your families, your coworkers. Hey, if you need me, you know where I live. What this is gonna force you to do is also make plans on your Sabbath. If you want to meet with people, you're like, how do, I, like, how do I meet people? How do I get around the city? Print out a map? I don't know. Make plans ahead of time. Hey, we're going to meet here at 5 o'clock. Let's do it. If you need me, you know where I live. Come find me. The world will not stop turning if you turn off your phone. And the, the harsh reality that we experience when we do that is that we are not the center of the universe. And that sucks. But there is such freedom when our butts aren't vibrating, our, our wrists aren't vibrating, that it's, it's, it's generating this buzz that we're always connected, but it also is giving this, this false sense of community when really we're not connecting with people. Um, an uh, author and pastor, John Mark Comer, back in Portland says, we need to relearn how to power down, how to unplug, disconnect, take a break, and be in one place at one time. We forget that we're not a machine, and we cannot work 24 hours a day. Another thing is when we put our cell phones away, as we've experienced probably, I don't know if you ever played that game where everybody has to put their phone in the middle of the table, you know, because we want to be unplugged. There's a part of us that acknowledges we want to be unplugged. 
because we want that face-to-face interaction. That's why one of our pillars here at Hope Brooklyn is that we eat face-to-face. Seems weird to say that. Of course, if you're eating, you're face-to-face. No, not anymore. We're face-to-phone. This is how we eat now. Uh-huh, all good, uh-huh, okay. We eat face-to-face. Turning off our phone allows us to be actually connecting with people, to look them in their faces and be in community. The third thing, create a ritual or a routine. I love in the Jewish traditions, they have so many rituals and routines. And one of them is that the start of the Sabbath always starts on Friday night at sunset, and it ends on Saturday night at sunset. And how it starts is with the Kiddush uh, blessing, which actually is the same root word of Kadash that we saw way back in Genesis 2, where God uses to sanctify, to set apart, to bless. Why I think this is cool is because at the beginning of their ritual, of their meal, they are speaking the words over, Lord, through this meal, through this day of rest, set us apart, prepare our hearts, make us holy, sanctify us. Our words have power, you guys. They have tremendous power. So they do a kiddish blessing. They bless the wine, and they feast together. They have a big meal, and it's delicious. All the good things. Um, my friend AJ, uh, the guy that studied the Sabbath, um, on, on their Sabbath, they wake up and they have a little boy, uh, son. And when they wake up in the morning, he doesn't make his bed. And it's the best thing ever for him. Because six days a week, he has to make his bed first thing in the morning, right? There's rules of the house. But on the Sabbath, he just gets to toss him and leave. And he loves it. He loves it because there's no work on the Sabbath. And then they go into the kitchen and they make pancakes every Sabbath morning. And AJ says, I let my son Elliot just dump the maple syrup on those pancakes. It is a river on there. Why do I do that? Because I want my son to know the sweetness of being in the presence of God. I want in years from now, when people mention the Sabbath, for my son's mouth to salivate, thinking about this day as a family that we gave to God and one another and communing and connecting and having really good food. Herschel, uh, Heschel, oh my gosh, I've been pronouncing his name wrong. Heschel writes, the soul cannot celebrate alone, so the body must be invited to, to partake in the rejoicing of the Sabbath. So create a routine. What do you love? You love pancakes? Have pancakes on the Sabbath. If you wanna have ice cream, maybe on your Sabbath you always have ice cream whatever it is for you. Create a rhythm. Bring your family into that. Something that you look forward to every six days of the week. You can't wait for that seventh day because of what is it for you. Four, do the thing that brings you into the presence of God. For Russ and I, we go hiking a lot. I love being in nature, you guys. When I am in nature, I feel at home with my creator. I see the trees and the birds. I see the water and and the bugs. And I think, oh, God, you are a beautiful artist. I see your hand here. I am in the presence of God when I am in the woods. So that's what we do a lot. I've got a big old dog, and nothing makes me happier than just seeing him run around. What is that for you? What brings you into the presence of God? Where do you think, man, God, like, I sense you here. 
Maybe it's art museums. Maybe you love art and seeing other people's creation and you connect with God in that way. I've dogged a little bit on, on Netflix or watching TV. I, I don't think it's necessarily a terrible thing to have a day where you just want to watch a movie too on your Sabbath, but bring God into that with you. Don't leave him at the door, bring him into that. So be intentional about what you're watching. Is this movie, is this TV show, is this honoring to God? Think about that. This is a day of intentionality, not just zoning out and nothingness. That's a rest day. This is the Sabbath. And then the last thing is do it with other people, your family, your friends. There are parts of the Sabbath that I think absolutely can be um, solitude, can be a part of that, because I think, oh, solitude is such a beautiful practice that also is very difficult. A lot of us get really antsy when it's too quiet, too long, especially being in this city. You're like, where are the horns? Where's the ambulances? But practicing solitude, that can be a part of it. But it shouldn't be the whole thing. God never intended us to be these islands to ourselves. He wants that intentional time with us one-on-one, but he also wants us to enjoy it with others. So if you're married, do it with your spouse. If you've got kids, invite them into the routine, into the ritual. If you're single, do it with friends. Do it with your roommates if they're down for it. Have a day that you maybe bring different people in each week. There's a routine and a ritual that you do, and then you get to bring different people in your life in. They get to experience rest and good food and the refilling. Do it with people. The Sabbath is our gateway to heaven. It is pushing back on the standards of this overly produced world and is being a people that are marked by good rest. The Sabbath is a celebration of the end of our toils during the week and also the preparation of our hearts, minds, bodies for the next week. In the Jewish tradition, they end their Sabbath on Saturday night with the Havdalah blessing. So it's another blessing. Uh, They drink wine, they light a candle, and they smell sweet spices. And the reason for this is, is because they want to experience this blessing with all five of their senses. So they hear the blessing, they taste the wine, they smell the sweet spices, they see the fire, the light of the candle, and they feel its heat. It is a blessing that is to prepare all parts of our being to go back out refreshed, and filled. Finally, Heschel writes, the Sabbath is a reminder of the two worlds, this world and the world to come. It is an example of both worlds, for the Sabbath is joy, holiness, and rest. Joy is a part of this world. Holiness and rest are something of the world to come. Would you guys pray with me? Father God, there are weary bones in this place. There are people's souls that are tired. They're burnt out. They're overwhelmed. I just can't seem to be filled, God. 
Nothing that we do seems to be working or countering these, these feelings, this weariness. And here we have so beautifully that you have offered us an alternative. You have offered us a paradise in a day of the week. A day that bridges both earth and heaven together. A day in which you have gifted to us. You stand with arms open, ready to refill our weary bones. To hold us, to let us collapse into your arms, to breathe life back into us. And once we are rested and refilled, you stand us back out and you say, your hands may belong to this world for now, but your soul belongs to me. So go and do good work, do it in my name, but come back and give me your spirit and your soul and I will make it new, I will make it whole. This is an uncomfortable idea for so many of us because it, it taps at our identity, what we've known about ourselves, what we've believed, where we find our value and our purpose, our meaning. It's offensive. But God, I would ask that as those emotions well up in people that you would be there to whisper softly that there is an alternative. that you, would, you have offered us purpose and meaning and value and we had it the first day of our existence before we did anything to earn it, before we acquired one penny or built one stone, we had value and purpose. Lord, forgive us for the lies we've believed about ourselves for the ways in which we've tried to build our own kingdoms here on earth. Tear down the facade. We long to see ourselves the way that you see us, God. We long to have the freedom that the Sabbath offers. So I ask as we go out of this place, as people start to ponder what the Sabbath can look like in their lives, Maybe if they're already doing the Sabbath, how could it be done differently? How can they receive more of you, God? If people have never done it before, may they reach out, ask for help. How are we doing this? Let's do it together. We are one body. We are a family here, Lord God. None of us is alone. Be with us, Lord. Reveal to us what brings us into your presence. Reveal to us what routines or rhythms will bring us life and show us more of your face, God. We thank you for being so intentional when you created the heavens and the earth, you created the birds and the beasts, you created us, and you created an entire day of rest and being filled up, God. Thank you for knowing us so much better than we knew ourselves. From the beginning of time, you created this day that you knew we would need because you know us. You know our temptations, God. Lord God, send your spirit into this place. Guide us as we 
start the practice of Sabbathing together as a community. And just pour out your grace on us, God, and your blessing. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's sermon. To find out more about the mission and ministry of Hope Brooklyn, details about Sunday worship and brunch, to subscribe to our other podcasts, and lots more, visit us online at www.hopebrooklyn.org.